Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Colin, come on up and give us what the Lord's given you for us this morning. Love you, buddy. Yo, that was the best introduction I've ever had in my entire life. We should sing happy birthday to somebody in the congregation every time at the start of every Sunday. Um, what's up, y'all? Y'all, is anybody excited to be here this morning? Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited that I'm here. How much more important is it that Jesus is right here in this place? Now, what I, what I think is so cool is that as we gather here this Sunday morning, I was thinking about this this morning, not only are there pre, are people all around the entire globe right now gathering and worshiping Jesus just like we are, but we actually have part of our own family in Honduras this morning, preaching and, and bringing the gospel. And so uh, I had some pictures that Matt sent, and I totally botched, you know, getting them up on the board. But um, we have, from our own congregation, we have Chad, Matt, and Holly. And then two people, uh, two of Matt and Holly's really good friends are, are down there, both who came after the uh, tornado and essentially moved here for uh, a couple weeks to help um, to help us get cleaned up. And so before we start, let's just pray. Let's just pray for them. So bow your heads with me real quick. Father, we thank you so much for Matt and for Holly and for Chad and Father for the entire team. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray a tremendous blessing as a church family over them. Lord, we pray that your divine protection for them. We pray for your divine grace and blessing and mercy. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, let them and the people of Honduras experience your love and your power like never before. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. And y'all, while they're standing up, can we just put our hands together one last time for the children coming and youth coming back in? And what about the parents? If you are a parent or a grandparent, stand up in this place. Oh, stand up. Come on. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Keep your hands going. Ryan, you can stand. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, Bob, and, Bob and I were joking the other night that, um, Bob and I were joking the other night that if uh, we had been in charge of the uh, production, that it would have included Charlie getting a microphone and Bob and I throwing peppermints at people. So, uh, so. Wherever Mary is, we uh, we bless you and, and thank you too. But let's uh, let's go let's go ahead and get into the word um, today. Where we're where we're going to start off, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, is we're going to start off by looking how different people responded to the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to go one group at a time through four groups of people, and we're going to talk about how they uh, how they responded. To the arrival of Jesus. So why don't we get started? We're going to start off by looking at uh, one group that was just represented. If you can turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, in the name of Jesus, reveal the mysteries of the gospel to us in this place this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, to know you and to know your word like we never have before. In Jesus' name. Luke chapter 2. And when you're there, say amen. All right. Luke chapter 2. Boys, you good? Cool. All right. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while some guy was governor of Syria. And everyone want, went to their, their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there, were no, there was no guest room available for them. This is where uh, I encourage you to especially lock in, uh, where we'll start uh, focusing at the beginning of this message. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of, of, God, of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had happened and told, had, excuse me, when, when they uh, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that, he, that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, I don't know about you, but, but my earliest memories of the Christmas story are plays kind of similar to the one that, that we just saw. I remember... Um, I remember it would happen on Christmas Eve when I was growing up at the church down the street, and a random collection of children would, would gather up at the front, and they would, you know, process down. All I remember is it being like a hodgepodge, a big old mess of, of people gathered around, you know, Jesus, around the baby. How about the fact that the shepherds, who were so well, well represented. If you were a shepherd in the play, give me a shout. Come on, come on. You could shout a little bit louder than that, shepherds. Come on. <laughs> you want the, oh, you want the microphone. You want the microphone. Hi. All right. All right, cool. And so if you, if you check it out, the Bible tells us that the shepherds were just hanging out in their field watching over their flock when an angel appeared to them i don't know about i don't know about you but isn't that isn't that such a cool bible occurrence that people will just be out doing what they're called to do and then an angel will randomly show up next thing you know I, the bible tells us that a great company of the heavenly host appeared and started to praise god they not only had the encounter with the angel who came, shone around them, and told them not, you know, the good news about Jesus being born, but then a, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared in their midst, praising God. And then the Bible seems to imply, it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. So it seems to imply that as soon as the angels showed up, the angels showed up, then next thing you know, they're in the midst of this company of, of the heaven, the great company of the heavenly hosts, and then next thing you know, that radical encounter has ended. But look at the response of the shepherds. What was their response? The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Y'all, they had a, a divine, supernatural encounter with an angel and with the heavenly host. And it gave them a burning desire 
and curiosity to go learn more. Is that what happens for us when we have divine encounters with the Lord? Are we hungry and do we want more? It seems to be that the, that was the shepherd's response. But see, the shepherds were, 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 were interesting. Because even though they had this tremendous encounter with the angel and with the heavenly host, we can tell by re- a close reading of the scriptures that they also understood the word of God. Why? Because the, if you look, the angel had only told them, today in the town of David, a savior had been born to you. They understood immediately that the town of David was Bethlehem. Because they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They not only were in the right place to have and open to a divine encounter, they not only had the proper reaction to that, that divine encounter, which was curiosity and wanting to know more, but they also had the wisdom and the uh, understanding of the scriptures to know where they were supposed to go. And they were tremendously blessed because of it. We read in verse 16 that they showed up when Jesus was still in the manger. We find in verse 17 and 18 that they not only did they show up and, and they saw Jesus in the manger. By the way, um, is Mary here? Okay, okay, okay. Can you uh, go like, do earmuffs real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, okay. Because one thing. Oh, I guess she's going to hear. I guess she's going to hear. Because one thing is I always understood that baby Jesus was there and everybody was kind of around. Y'all, the shepherds were the first people to come and see Jesus. And was it? Oh, oh, she already knew that. She already knew that for the sake of uh, speeding things up a little. Well, actually, no, you had that. The, they, they, that's true. That's true. Just the shepherds were up there in front. That's true. Good point. And then what was their response when they found Jesus in the manger? Verse 17 and 18, they spread the good news. And in verse 21, what was, how did they go out? They left, quote, glorifying and praising God. Preacher, run through that real quick one more time. They had an encounter with an angel who told them the good news. Then they were surrounded by a great company of the heavenly host who led them into worship. Then they had a spiritual curiosity to go and find and learn more and to go honor this Lord Jesus, this Messiah that had come in. And they had the awareness and the understanding of the scriptures to know where they were supposed to go. When they went, they were so blessed to find Jesus still in the manger And then they went and spread the word and left glorifying and praising God. Amen? Let's turn to our second group of people. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 2. I promise I'm going somewhere here. Again, Matthew chapter 2. Thank you, Jesus. And when you're in Matthew chapter 2 or, or located at Matthew chapter 2, say amen for me. All right, all right. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the Lord's, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of, Ju- of Judah, are by, no me- are, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, uh, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The second group that I'd like to draw our attention to are these people referred to here in the NIV as the, quote, Magi, sometimes in the King James Version also referred to as the, quote, wise men. Uh, this word, these people were really astrologers from the East. The word magos uh, in, uh, is translated uh, in other places in the New Testament as magician or as sorcerer. And most scholars think that they came from a modern day uh, area around maybe modern day Iran. Well, they responded. They, the Bible says that they, as being astrologers, saw a star appear in the sky. They call it, quote, his star. And because of that, they understood that the king of the Jews had been born. In other words, they had the spiritual eyes to see that there was a star from that marked where Jesus was being born king of the Jews. But unlike unlike the shepherds, they didn't understand the word about Jesus. They didn't understand the scriptures about him. How do, how do we know that? They didn't go straight to Bethlehem. Where did they go? They went to Jerusalem, which might be, if somebody told the town of David, well, you might very well think, oh, that must be Jerusalem, because over 40 times in the Old Testament, the, quote, city of David was used to refer to, uh, uh, Jerusalem was referred to as the city of David. So it might make sense that they shifted and instead of going to Bethlehem, they went to Jerusalem. And once they got there, they created a big stir amongst the people. And only after getting corrected about the scriptures by the scholars through King Herod, were they able to redirect and go towards Bethlehem? We find out that, I thought this, this verse is particularly interesting. Verse, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse number 10. It says that when they leave Jerusalem and are on the way back to Bethlehem, that, quote, they saw the star, uh, sorry, after they had heard the king, this is verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it, it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were, over, they were overjoyed. It seems to imply that they lost sight of the star at some point. Got to Jerusalem, got redirected towards Bethlehem. The star that they had initially been following as the sign of where they were supposed to go came back, and that's why it brought them an abundance of joy. That's why they were overjoyed. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've found on my journey that I'll be walking with the Lord somewhere, and I'll be walking and I'll say, Father, I need another sign. I need a confirmation that I'm still walking in the proper uh, area of my journey, and I'm not going to move until I get that confirmation. Well, the Magi got that confirmation that they were on the right path again only after they left Jerusalem and started going to Bethlehem. And we find out that even though they were overjoyed, even though they eventually got to Jesus in Bethlehem, we find out that they did it significantly later than when the shepherds had shown up. How do we know that? The shepherds showed up when Jesus was in the manger. The Magi showed up when they were all in a house. We read that in verse, uh, verse 11. And so in other words, they... Who knows? I, I wondered while I was preparing this message, I wonder if they had initially followed the star or had known the scriptures enough to go to Bethlehem rather than to Jerusalem first. 
Maybe they would have been like the play when I was growing up. Maybe the shepherd, the shepherds and the Magi would have been together at the manger all right after the birth of Jesus. Instead, Magi, the Magi are days or weeks or months late. That said, they come, they serve their role, they worship the Lord, the Lord Jesus as a, as a child. They worship him with the gifts that were uh, distributed. And so they, they play their part. Even though they were spirit, they had the, they had, were spiritually led, they were in error about the scriptures. And because of that, once they were able and open for correction, they were able to go and they joined in on the party. And that's why when we do those little, when we do the little play, the Magi get represented. But there are also other groups of people in this story who responded very differently. And because of that, there was not any representation of them in the play. First, let's look at King Herod. We find out that King Herod, unlike the Magi, did not see or sense or have any awareness in the spiritual realm that Jesus had been born. He finds out, we read in Matthew chapter uh, 2, verse, uh, verse 3, that King Herod found out about the birth of Jesus through the Magi. And then let's look at his response, because we also see in verse 3, I'll go, go ahead and read it. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That word also can be, uh, can be uh, translated as terrified. So what was King Herod's response? First, he did not have the spiritual awareness to see any signs that the Lord Jesus had been born. Then, when he did find out that news secondhand from the Magi, he was disturbed. He was terrified. Why was, why was King Herod terrified? Because Jesus was identified as king of the Jews. What was Herod? Herod was, theoretically, the king in that area. And so he might have thought of himself as the quote-unquote king of the Jews. And so for King Herod to be thinking of himself as, quote, king of the Jews, and to find out that there is another king of the Jews that has just been born. Why did it cause him to be disturbed and terrified? It caused him to be disturbed and terrified because he saw Jesus as a threat to his way of life. See, King Herod was, was he, he enjoyed being in power. He enjoyed being in control. And he knew that if there was another king of the Jews that had just been born, that it might threaten all the things that he had and that he possessed. And so he gathered information about Jesus. And we can assume that he did this with malicious intent. Why? Because, you know, the, the Magi got the dream to go, not go back to him. And eventually King Herod uh, ordered uh, and, and, tr and tried to uh, kill Jesus and ended up killing and ordering the, the, the slaughter of every Jewish boy under the age of two years old anywhere in the area of Bethlehem. So you can see how, how King Herod responded so differently than the shepherds who saw the spiritual signs and experienced the spiritual encounter and knew the word and responded, and from the Magi who had the right heart but didn't know the word and, and because of that, eventually got where they were supposed to be. King Herod responded by being disturbed and terrified and then by doing everything that he could to grasp onto and control what he possessed or thought that he possessed. And there's one for the fourth group that I want to look at are the Jewish scholars. Now, we, we read in verse 3, that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Well, the Jewish scholars and teachers were in Jerusalem. So that seems to imply that the Jewish scholars and teachers, when they found out that the Magi were coming through and saying, we've seen a spiritual sign that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, has been born, 
that the scholars and teachers were also shared in Herod's being disturbed and terrified. See, the, the Jewish scholars, nobody knew the scriptures as well as the Jewish scholars. They might have known the prophet, the prophetic, they knew the prophetic word in Micah about where uh, Jesus was going to be born. They knew all the scriptures and the, and the prophecies of Isaiah about what he would do and what he would accomplish and who he would be. They understood all the scriptures about Jesus, all the scriptures about the Messiah. Nobody understood the word of God as well as the Jewish scholars. But the Jewish scholars, when they were called to King Herod, and King Herod asked them, where is the, where is the Messiah to be born? They answered the question, but they had no spiritual desire. They understood all the, the word, but they did not see the spiritual signs. A proper response, if they knew all the scriptures and the Magi came and said, we have seen spiritual signs that the Messiah has been born, the scholars you would think would say, hey, that's awesome. If we combine you who sees in the spirit and me who knows the word and we come together and we go, we'll, we'll all get to go see Jesus together. But no. Instead, the Jewish scholars heard about all of this, were disturbed, terrified, and did absolutely nothing. If you notice, in the play that we had up here today and the plays that go on all across the nation, the Jewish scholars are not present in that play because the Jewish scholars were not present at the birth of Jesus or in the early, early, you know what I mean. They weren't there at the manger and they weren't there at the house when he was a child. So we have looked at four groups and how they responded to the coming of Jesus. Each one of them represents something completely different. The shepherds, they represent the way that the word and the spirit work together. The shepherds, they had the spiritual eyes and the spiritual, their hearts were clean. They had the spiritual desire, but they also knew the word enough to know where to go and about how to, how to react and how to live their lives. The Magi, the Magi had the right heart. They had the spiritual desire, but they were in error about the scriptures. And so they went to Jerusalem with, by the way, horrible consequences. Because you could say that the Magi, by going to Jerusalem and spreading the word and getting people terrified and getting King Herod terrified, that that led to the execution of all these children in the area of Bethlehem. But they had the spiritual eyes, but they lacked the, the knowledge of the word. But they were open to correction. And so they ended up achieving what they were sent to do, which was to go and to bless and, and, and worship Jesus. The third, King Herod. King Herod was terrified and disturbed at hearing that Jesus had been born and did everything in his power to maintain and hold on to what he could. He represents, King Herod represents for us people who live according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. He couldn't humble himself and, and worship Jesus because he saw Jesus as a threat to everything that he had. I don't know about you, but, but I remember in the early years of my walk saying, if I accept this Jesus and live and walk with this Jesus, what if I lose everything that I have in the world? See, each and every one of us in this place who is walking with Jesus, at some point we made a choice where we said, we are going to walk with him, even if it means leaving all the world behind. If we have to leave everything that we have, we'll do it to walk with Jesus. King Herod, because he was living according to the flesh, was not willing to make that decision. And because of it, he not only missed out on, on worshiping the Lord Jesus, 
but also was guilty of murdering children. And the fourth group we looked at were the Jewish scholars. The Jewish scholars represent people who understand the word of God better than anybody, but don't understand the spirit. They knew all the prophecies. They knew all the scripture. But they didn't have the eyes to see when those scriptures were coming to reality. Y'all with me? Because, Father, help me. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, God. Help me, God. Because, see, that Because, see, we, we get together in the Christmas season, and we look back to the coming of Jesus. We look back to the moment 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus came in bodily form as a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. We remember the gift that we received, each and every one of us, from the Father when he sent Jesus. And we remember and honor the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus on earth. When he came to teach us, when he came to die on a cross for you, and he came to die on a cross for me. When he came so that you and I would have full redemption and full reconciliation with the Father. When he came so that you and I who have sinned would be cleansed white so that we could be one with the Father. That's what we remember in the Christmas season. In the Christmas season, we look back. But, but see, the, the Lord sent me here to tell you and, and told me an important message. And he wants me to be very direct about it which is that the Lord Jesus is coming back. The Lord Jesus, who was born in a bodily, came to earth in a bodily form over 2,000 years ago, is coming back again in a bodily form. And in this season, he told me very specifically about this morning that he wanted us to use the celebration of the first coming of Jesus to look forward to the second coming of Jesus. See, for, for hundreds of years, the Old Testament existed. For hundreds of years, they had the prophetic words of Isaiah and the prophetic words of Micah and the prophetic words of, of Jeremiah. They had all of that. But there came a time when people had to not only know what it said, but also be pure in heart and have the spiritual eyes and the spiritual hunger to respond when that actually happened. And it may seem obvious to us now, how could these, you know, how could King Herod and how could the Jewish scholars not see the signs? How could they not see the signs that the fulfillment of all of these prophetic words was Jesus born in Bethlehem? But y'all, it's so easy for us to look back. Because the New Testament, the same way that the Old Testament books cry out about the coming, the first coming of the Lord Jesus. The books of the New Testament cry out about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Do you see there's, I'm, I'm trying to say that you and I are in the same boat as the people before all of the events that we just talked about before 2,000 years ago. They had scripture that told them Jesus was coming. 
told them the details, some signs, some details, and told them to prepare. The New Testament books tell us that Jesus is coming back a second time. The Old Testament books tell us some signs, and they tell us some details to look for. And they tell us to prepare ourselves for the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And so it's so easy for us to sit here and to judge people 2,000 years ago. The Lord wants us to look at our hearts this morning. Because we are in the same exact, well, in a similar situation. We are in a similar situation in advance of the second coming of Jesus. The same way that the Magi understood the first coming of Jesus with an uh, astronomical event, the quote, what they called his star, so is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ coming with another astronomical event. We read in Mark chapter 13, verse 26, that people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. We read in Matthew 24, verse 27, that as lightning comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Y'all, I'm trying to tell you, see, see, there, there are things that we talk about in church and things we don't talk about in church. But if we are reading our Bibles the way that we are supposed to be, every book cries out about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. We can't unsee it. And so at some point, we either say, we believe what the word is saying, all of it, or we don't. And see, there, there are more similarities. The Magi came from the east to worship Jesus. Well, we read in Psalm 72, verse 8 and 11, that again, various nations and cultures from around the earth will come and bow before Jesus when he comes back. The same way that Herod and those in Jerusalem uh, were terrified and disturbed, and, and they, that was their response to the first coming of Jesus. So we read in Matthew 24, verse 30, that many will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And so we sit here and we judge King Herod, we sit here and we judge the Jewish scholars. We sit here and we judge the people of Jerusalem who failed to see the signs and respond and who responded with distress and being disturbed and terror. But the Lord tells us that some people on this earth are going to respond exactly the same way when Jesus comes, uh, when Jesus comes back the second time. And listen, listen, anyone that tells us or claims to know the exact time or the exact hour when this is going to happen is a false teacher or a false prophet. How do we know that? Because scripture says so. We read in Matthew 24, verse 36, that about the day or hour, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. That's what Jesus said. And so I have a, I have a, I have a thing. If, if, if we as human beings think that the Lord has revealed to us the hour or the exact time when the second coming of Jesus is going to take place, well, that means that we think we are higher than the Son of Man. We think that we are higher than Jesus. I don't know about you, but that sounds like pride to me. Maybe that's something we, we could deal with this morning. But see, the Scriptures do tell us some signs to look for and some details about what will follow. Turn with me to, to uh, we, could, we could, like I said, we could turn to any book in the New Testament, but flip with me to Matthew 24. Thank you, Jesus. Again, Matthew chapter 24. And when you're there, say amen. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. 
It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, what he gives us signs to look for. He answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death. You will be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now we're going to stop, uh, stop there for uh, this morning. What signs does, did we just say, what did we just read that we should look for about the second coming? Verse 6 and 7, wars. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you, know, you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. In verse 7, natural disasters. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. In verse 9, the Lord's people will be persecuted. You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Verse 10, a loss of faith amongst believers who will then betray each other, each other and hate each other. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. In verse 11, false prophets will appear and deceive people. In verse 12, the love of most people will grow cold. And in verse 14, the gospel will be preached throughout the world. Now, I'm not here to tell you my opinion, but honestly ask yourself, to what extent do those signs exist right now and today? Honestly ask yourself. Wars, natural disasters, persecutions, loss of faith amongst Christians, false prophets, Love growing cold. Gospel being preached throughout the world. Reinhard Bonnke always used to say that, you know, one might threaten an enemy, but one who's a true friend always warns a friend. Jesus said it this way further on in that passage in verse 33. When you see all these things, you will know that it, also translated he, is near and right at the door. Now, now y'all, I, I don't, see, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how this is being received. I don't know. But I'm telling you what the Lord told me to tell you, which is that this, this is coming. And see, the first time that Jesus came, he came as a baby, born in a manger. He came to die on the cross for you, and he came to die on the cross for me. For the forgiveness of your sins and the forgiveness of my sins. The second time he comes, he is not coming as a baby born in a manger, and he is not coming to die on the cross for you and for me again. You see, it's, 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 we have to understand that there's a difference between the first and second comings. See, the first time he came so that we would have this tremendous gift. The, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, that he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. Praise Jesus. Thank God. Y'all, the second time Jesus comes, 
He is not coming to go die on the cross and cleanse up our, of, our, of our sins again. He is coming to judge this earth and to gather up his true children to be with him. This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. As it was in the, this is Jesus still talking about this, about, about this teaching. He says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the, right up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. See, the Lord wants us to ask ourselves a question. Which is, if tonight there was a light in the sky and it wasn't Rudolph's nose and there was somebody coming and it wasn't Santa Claus, but it was the Lord Jesus, how would we respond as individuals? Would we, would we like... The Jewish scholars say, oh, I know, all the, I know all the signs of this and not respond because we knew the scriptures, but we didn't have the spirit. Would we respond like Herod and have fear about what might change in our earthly lives? And because of that, be our response be to be terrified? Or would we, like the Magi and like the shepherds, drop everything that we have and chase after Jesus and run to him and worship him. Ricky, would you mind coming up? I'll never forget, I, I looked for it again yesterday, but I couldn't find it. Uh, at some point I saw a video, uh, it was towards the end of Reinhard Bonnke's life, and an interviewer asked him, and said, obviously you're getting to the end of your life. Are you worried about what will happen? Are you worried about seeing Jesus face to face? And Reinhardt said something I'll never forget. He said, why would I be scared of seeing someone face to face when I've been walking with them and knowing them my entire life? I remembered a, a story. Um, is Josh back there? Okay, great. See, during the pandemic, I was stuck in my house in Boston. Okay, we were on major lockdown and all that stuff. So it was, it was the longest time that I ever spent away from Selma, which was, I think it was a year and a half. And during that time, Josh had come to Blue Jean. I had heard him preach in Boston because I was listening to the podcast. And then Josh and I connected on the phone and we talked and, and got to know each other. And see, when I came down to Selma, and moved back down with my, my, my truck, and my mom and I drove all the way from Boston to Selma with this big Penske truck, Josh was waiting for us at my house. He and I had never seen each other in person, but we knew each other. Not only did we know each other, we hugged because we knew that we were brothers. We had developed such a great connection on the phone, and that connection remains until today. In the same way, if we are walking on this earth with Jesus, the second coming shouldn't be something we are terrified about. It should be something that we are thoroughly looking forward to and excited about. And so I didn't come here to preach bad news to you. I came here to preach good news. That if we are right with God, Jesus coming back is the best thing ever. But the question is, are we sure that we're walking with him and that we are sold out for Jesus?
That's the question. But see, we can practice right now. Everybody in this place stand up. Because see, we don't have to wait to worship Jesus for the second coming. Does anybody know that we can worship Jesus right now? And so listen, the Bible says that the second coming won't be at a convenient time for you or for me. Each of you has just been sitting in a pew for about an hour. Some of you probably have to go to the bathroom. Some of you probably are thinking about running away and, and, and going home to go prepare for Aunt, Aunt Betty coming to, over for dinner tonight. The Holy Spirit is asking you, will you drop everything and worship Jesus?
listen, um, we'll, you can, you can remain standing y'all. We'll, we'll be, uh, there'll be a team up here. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. Um, and, uh, and so come find us if there's any specific needs. Um, but, uh, let me, let me, let me pray over us and bless y'all. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your love. And Lord, we thank you for even right now preparing us, your bride, for the wedding to come. Lord, I just thank you so much for revealing yourself to each and every one of us in this room in new ways in this season. Jesus, we declare as a church, we are here and we are ready for you, Father. Jesus, we are ready for your coming back. We're looking to it. We are excited for it. And Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence right here in our midst. And thank you that we don't have to wait for the second coming in order to walk on this earth with you. And so right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless every heart under the sound of my voice. I bless you to experience the Lord's presence like never before. I bless you to walk without fear, without anxiety, but to walk filled with joy, to walk filled with hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. May the Lord himself turn his face towards you. May his face shine upon you. May he bless you with peace and with joy and with confidence, with health and with prosperity in Jesus' mighty name. And God, I just thank you that as we go from this place, that we do not go from your presence. And Lord, I just, in closing, I thank you so much for this church, for this body, and for this congregation. Father, I thank you for the blessing that this body is to Selma, that this body, this body is to me, that this body is to this world and for advancement of the kingdom. And Father, I thank you for each of the men and women of God from the oldest to the youngest in this place, be blessed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.